You're listening to the Community Pulse Podcast, a podcast on developer relations, community management, and everything in the tech community spectrum. Welcome your hosts, Mary Fengball, Jason Hand, and PJ Haggerty. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Community Pulse. We're glad to have you here today. I'm Mary, and today we have a special guest with us, along with Jason and PJ. So Vicki Brasseur is here to talk to us about how to submit the best CFP of your life and what to do once it gets accepted. Vicki, do you want to introduce yourself? So I am VM Brasseur, but as Mary pointed out, uh, because we're all friends here, you can call me Vicki. Um, I am VM Brasseur on Twitter and pretty much everywhere else on the internet. Um, uh, so I am a an open source consultant. I help companies, uh, primarily small and medium businesses, but all sorts of size companies uh, learn how to uh, use and release and uh, just generally do open source well. Um, I also do a lot of corporate trainings for uh, public speaking, both like the before side of things, how to do your CFPs and actually get accepted, but also afterward, how to write a talk that people are going to get a lot of use out of. So um, that's how I spend my days, uh, aside from my general open sourciness and other stuff. I do a lot of writing. Um, I'm the author of what we think is the very first book on how to contribute to free and open source software. Um, it's called uh, Forge Your Future with Open Source. It's available right now in beta on Pragmatic uh, Press. So you can go to pragprog.com and look that up. It's pretty cool. I'm really proud of it. But writing a book is hard and really exhausting. So yes. Um, Yes, it is. Yes, but if, if you're going to do it, I do highly recommend that you go with Pragmatic because I've been super pleased with my publisher so far. So that's my plug for Pragmatic. Nice. Well, congrats on the book. Yeah. yeah. Oh. We'll see whether I actually get it out. <laughs> we believe in you. You're at the finish line. It'll happen. You can do it. As long as my so, editor believes in me. There you go. They do, I'm sure. I'm sure. So talk to us a little bit about why you're so passionate about open source software and the communities around it. So I think, how much time do we have? Because <laughs> I, I could like use it all. So I mean, so just look at like science, right? As an example, all science is built on the science that came before it. All literature kind of builds upon and references all the literature that comes before it, all the art, really all of human creation is it relies on the work of those who came before us, right? Mm -hmm. So open source software, free and open source software, as far as I'm concerned, that's just a continuing of the human tradition of sharing and building upon the knowledge that came before everyone else. So um, ideas, really those, whatever they are, software or science or anything, those have a lot of value, but the ideas that you share those are like putting them in this great big Calvin and Hobbes idea amplifying transmogrifier, you know, and, and that brings a lot more value to a lot more people. So free and open source software, it ensures that all those great ideas that we're developing, it, they're shared and the people who come after us, they can build on them and they can improve on our work. And so that's, that's really amazing as far as I'm concerned. That's, that's magic. You yeah. are building the future right now. I mean, I could literally go on for hours about this. This is what I'm paid for. <laughs> so, um, but I'm not dogmatic about free and open source software. I am highly pragmatic. And that's, it makes me a lot more uh, user friendly from a business point of view because I'm able to explain that, no, don't do open source because it's the right thing to do. Although, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I personally believe it is. But, you know, do free and open source software 
because it's the smart thing to do and it is going to help your bottom line. And let me show you how you're going to make a ton more money if you are doing it in this way and how it's more efficient and more effective. And the people around that are what really make that work. Without the people and, then, and the community around free and open source software, yes. who cares, right? But, but then, all you would have is take that, take that money and reinvest into free and open source software. You have to reinvest it, but strategically based upon right, your right. company specific needs, right? I mean, it's, it's, you can't just go throwing money at something because it's, again, the right thing to do because right. you have, you, you have to do due diligence for your, your business. You can't have business malpractice by just mm -hmm. throwing money away and not getting any return on your investment. So I, I'm big on throwing money away. I think we all know that. <laughs> just, I'm really good at it. So <clears throat> yeah, we should like trade pointers sometimes. We should, we should hang out. Um, Ooh, let's do that. <laughs> but spe speaking of hangout, I mean, you, you go out in the community, you, you do a lot of talks, you interact, you go to a lot of conferences. What, you know, you, you know, probably better than a lot of people that it's not just, you know, I'll just submit to this CFP and hope for the best and see how it goes. There's kind of an, an art to it. There's, there's a way to attach yourself to content that you want to attach to a conference. And, and it's not, you know, just you know, shotgun and hope for the best. Uh, kind of you know, walk us through like what what is your plan? What what do you when you look at a CFP or a conference that you want to uh, be a part of? How do you attack that problem? So I do. I, I mentioned I do corporate trainings on this stuff, right? And one of the things I have to drill over and over is it's not about you. You know, you you're just the delivery mechanism. It's really about the audience. So it's not about what you want. It's about what the audience wants. So as a speaker, you are there to serve them, to train them, and to provide really, you have to provide value to them. Mm -hmm. So if your proposal that you're going to submit to some CFP, if it doesn't show, like really clearly show the value that you will provide to that audience, then it's, it's just game over, right? Because why would anyone go to your talk, let alone select it for the conference in the first place? If they don't, they can't tell how it's worth their time. So that assumes, obviously, I mean, kind of assumes hand waviness that you've done your homework and you know what the audience values. And mm -hmm. so if you don't do that first, then you're likely to miss the target. Uh, each, each conference audience, it's composed of different people. It's and different localities and different backgrounds and different cultures. So each audience is different, even if it's going to be the same sort of thing, right? So mm -hmm. if you're proposing to a DevOps days in Singapore, you're going to have a different type of audience than a DevOps days in Boise, for instance. Mm -hmm. Just So don't assume because it's a DevOps days, it, you can just keep firing the same stuff at them. Mm -hmm. Do a little research on that. I mean, you can obviously just keep firing the same proposal at lots of conferences and that does work for some people but customizing a proposal for your specific audience is going to make it much more likely that you get accepted but another way to do that is thinking like hockey right how do you make a lot of goals you have a lot of shots on goal so if you're not shooting at that net then you're not likely to actually get the puck in so propose lots and lots of talks and whenever I, I tell this to people, uh, if they're a new speaker, they're like, no, 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 you can't do that. And I'm like, why the heck not? <laughs> Vicky, I, I think you just got yourself an invite back to the show with that uh, uh, hockey reference. Yep. Um, oh. Thank you for being the first hockey reference we've ever had. <laughs> thank you. As thank you. the only hockey fan in the audience, I appreciated it. Uh, see, so, look at me working, playing to my audience. Mm -hmm, right? you, knew, you knew, you're like, that dude looks like he's from Buffalo. 
Yeah, he's he's got the hockey look. <laughs> so, um, Vicky, I want to ask you something then, because um, one of the things I've noticed this year as uh, I've been sort of organizing DevOps Days Rockies, and I've also been putting together my own CFPs for different events, um, a lot of us use the same tool. We'll just say paper call, because that is kind of one of the more common ones that people use. Um, one of the sort of trends I've noticed definitely this year, a lot more um, than even last year, is that because of the tool, it makes it really easy for you to write one abstract and then shotgun it across every conference that, that comes up. But you just sort of pointed out the, and I totally agree, that the importance of actually knowing the conference, a little bit more about the conference, the audience, and sort of customizing it. Do you have any advice for, like, how, do you, how can you still use a tool like Papercall and not be writing a different CFP for every single, you know, every single event, but still somehow find like a happy medium? So I have, I've publicly, you know, Twittered at the people, paper call people and said, no, this is wrong. You're doing it wrong. I don't like what you're doing because you're treating every single audience as though it is just a cookie cutter audience. And this is not good. Um, so I don't like paper call, obviously, because I do so many CFPs, I have to use it. I just keep tweaking my proposals and uploading new ones, right? Because it's the right thing to do for the audience. I'm respecting my the individuality and the special nature of my audience. So yeah. fine, you you allow me to have one proposal and shotgun it everywhere. That doesn't mean I have to use that feature. And I don't, frankly, because it's terrible. Instead, what well, I do is I keep everything in GitLab, um, every single proposal. So I can, um, I also then attach it to a Trello card for that specific conference so I can mm -hmm. find it very quickly and go, what did I even propose to that? Yeah. I go to get yeah. You know, yeah. so um, I'm really well organized with all my stuff, but it, yeah. I'm able to see what I did before, copy mm -hmm. that over, tweak it, commit it. Yeah. It. Yeah. I think that's great advice. Cause one of the things I'll say as, a, as someone who, who reads a lot of CFPs and, and for the conference I'm doing here in Denver, um, we had something like almost 200 submissions and that's a lot to read through. And I can tell, in almost the first 20 seconds, if this is just a sort of a, a boilerplate CFP that somebody wrote and just hoping that they can just send it to every single conference. And I, a lot of times I'll just stop reading it and move on yep. to the next one. Cause I can just tell that they don't know the first thing about my conference. Right. Um, yeah, so I think I that's agree. important. I do the well, exact same thing with my program committees that I run and, and I'm on. If, if it's obviously a cooker, cookie cutter, but I do the same thing when I'm hiring as well. If it looks like you've just, you know, cut and pasted the exact same cover letter everywhere, then yeah, I'm moving on to the next person who looks like they actually want the job. Same thing. It's for an issue family. of respect, right? Like yeah, exactly. if you haven't taken the time to research what this conference is about and why this talk is good for this conference, then yeah, why you don't, should we give you the time to speak at the conference that you don't actually care about enough to submit a CFP that makes sense for us? Right. Exactly. Right. You don't want to speak at my conference. You want to speak at any conference. Okay, cool. I respect that. But dude, play to your audience. Make me yeah. feel special and you will manipulate me into being more likely to accept your talk. Right. Well, I, I think the interesting, even with a tool like Paper Call, you can, you can still edit but it requires you to read what the conference organizer said, like, here's our goals. Here's what we're looking for. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people don't do that. They just say, click, 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 And I'm not going to say I've never done that because I've totally done it. Jason knows. I submitted 50 things to DevOps Days Rockies. And it was really just four talks six times. 
like Vicky said with her hockey story, I mean, it, it can be a numbers game for a lot oh, of people. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, um, I understand the incentive, uh, and I, I think we're going to make some adjustments next year because we didn't set a limit on how many talks somebody could submit to CF to uh, Rockies, and as a result, we got a lot of cruft, um, mm-hmm. and we got just a, just excessive, you know, well, it was the same. I, I helped with the, the CFP for Mid-Atlantic Dev Conference, and it was the same thing. They got 250-some-odd proposals, and some of them, because at the same time I have the CFP for Code Days open, I'm looking and I'm actually seeing people that are clearly just going through the list of open CFPs on paper call yeah. and submitting. And it's like, one of them had the same typo in both submissions. And I was like, dude. And sometimes it's not or, even or, or lady, I don't know. But, you know, person, hey, human you are screwing this up every single time you submit this every single time you're making the same mistake. Yeah, it is. It, I think that um, events that I think we should encourage lots of proposals, but I I agree with Jason that you got to set a limit, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If you don't want more than three or four proposals from a certain person, then try and set that limit, say that upfront. And if you're, you're, system doesn't allow you to enforce it then at least be very very clear about it um right you know and tell people and then they have to select the ones that they think are most likely to get accepted at that conference rather than just sending like nine ten proposals which i i admit i have done before for conferences Mm -hmm. that i really really want to get into (laughs) yeah yeah so that actually is a perfect segue into my next question there are conferences that we all know we really, really want to get into, but this whole idea of uncertainty and rejection and being in that limbo period in between when you submit and when you either get accepted or rejected from the conference is really hard. So how do you deal with that limbo period as well as the rejection that inevitably comes when you're submitting to so many conferences? So there's not there's nothing to be done about the limbo period that is entirely out of your hands you have no control out of that all you can do is be patient and understanding and that understanding comes from recognizing that reviewing and selecting talks it's it's a ton of work oh my god it takes up so much time and it's usually done by volunteers who have families and lives and jobs so as you're waiting through that limbo period i know it's really hard but try and have a lot of empathy for that program committee right and Give them the space to do their job. Just writing them constantly or pinging them on IRC or Slack saying, hey, when, 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 we, when will we hear back, right? Uh, it's just as effective as children sitting in the back seat saying, hey, dad, are we there yet? Hey, dad, are we there yet? Hey, dad, are we there yet? And it's really irritating. It just distracts people from getting their job done. So, you know, don't do that. Just be patient. But so uh, another strategy I tell people, uh, to try to employ is to reduce your emotional investment. We're going back to the shots on goal thing here, right? It can be really hard to do this. I tell people this with their job uh, hunts as well. It's the same sort of thing. You're emotionally invested in something you really want. Um, you're really keen to present at, at this specific event, right? But if you're more keen to just present at anything rather than this just one, then do kind of like that DevOps thing, right? Treat your conferences like cattle rather than pets. And and so try not to get emotionally attached to them. Just find the next conference and propose to it and then find the next conference and propose to it. But obviously you're only going to propose to things where you want to present and only talks that you are willing to commit to present. Don't just do it for your own purposes. There there's people at the other end who need to rely on you. But do try to dilute your emotional attachment in that way and that can help a bit. 
Um, but rejection, I, I have an entire module in my training all about rejection. So um, I've, awesome. I've done a lot of thought about this and really, you might think that it's just you, but honey, it happens to all of us. Mm -hmm. um, my friend John Anderson, um, he's Gene Hack on Twitter, G-E-N-E-H-A-C-K. Um, he created a Twitter hashtag just for this. It's uh, hashtag speaker life, all one word. Um, and whenever a lot of experienced speakers get rejected, they tweet with hashtag speaker life saying, hey, look, we're all in this together. We all get rejected. It's not just you. It's okay. Yeah, it can be an emotional hit, but it's not you. Uh, there's lots of reasons why your talk might have been rejected. And it can really help with the rejection to consider just logically why that happened. I mean, it could be that there were so many proposals. And obviously, if there are that many proposals, there's going to be even more rejections. That's mm -hmm. not about you. That's just about the numbers game, right? Right. Um, it could be that your proposal really wasn't that good. That's likely. I, I reject things all the time because it's just kind of rubbish. Um, so if you're not accepted to a conference, if you are, get your talks rejected, ask for feedback. You know, you might not get a response. The program committee, the conference, it takes a lot of time. It, it's really involved. People might not have the time to get back to you, but they might. And you don't win a race, you don't run, people. So ask for that feedback. And if you get it, then do use that. I mean, it's iterate on your proposals and constantly improve them. And this is how, you know, keeping them in version control, this allows you to do that. Right. Um, right. As, as I receive feedback, I also create issues for each talk, each proposal. I do that in my GitLab. So next time I go to the use of proposal, I look at the issues. Oh, right. What did somebody tell me right. to change? Let me iterate on that now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I do the same thing. I have a Google Drive folder that I have a separate page for each each CFP that I'm ever interested in giving or have have submitted somewhere. And you know, cool. Here's the open source version of that for general open source conferences, and then I'll tweak it specific to the conference. But then I'll have the dates and everything above, and then leave a comment like, "Hey, so and so said this thing." Um, and similar to, to GitLab, I'm guessing that's a super easy way for me to also share that with someone else and go, Hey, can you take a quick look at this and give me some feedback before I submit it so that I know, you know, what I can change, what I can do, how I can fix it. Yeah. Asking your friends. Um, I have a, a lot of friends who do the conference thing. Obviously it's what we do. Um, and so running it past them, right? They either organize conferences or they speak at conferences or both and sending a proposal to them and saying, hey, I know I've done this a lot, but I need another set of eyes. You know, everyone needs an editor. Everyone needs a second opinion. So always be asking people for that. That helps. Yeah, you. I think that's a good point, uh, Vicki. Actually, uh, we've got a few people here at uh, VictorOps who recently have had expressed some interest in speaking opportunities and and so I've been kind of coaching them on the process that I use, which is very much just what you guys were saying is keep a, keep a tab on like, what are some of the feedback that you get? If you get, if you get turned down at a talk, like just ask, you know, in most cases, it's just that it, it this is sort of my, my response when somebody asks is that it, there wasn't anything always specifically wrong with the talk. It just didn't fit into the program that we were trying to build. So a lot of times my feedback is actually, this was a great talk. It's just, maybe there was one already that was very similar and yep. for other 
reasons, you know, inclusivity, diversity, just trying to get some local people, more local people involved. Like there's always other sort of variables involved in the decision-making process that isn't specific to the CFP itself, your CFP. There's other reasons. And I think, I think a lot, you know, coaching people to let them know that that's part of the process too yeah. um, helps as well. But yeah, I that think, really I does. Think, uh, I think one of the other keys too, and this kind of leads to our next our next part of the discussion, is is organizers kind of being upfront about what they want. We mentioned that a little bit when we we're talking about different CFP tools, but uh, Vicky, in your opinion, like what are things that organizers can do to make clear or make the process easier? Like, here's what we'd like when you submit to the CFP. We want you know three bullet points followed by slides that feature many bullet points, because it's all about bullet points, and we all know that. Mary <laughs> agrees with this 100%. Good callback. But, but, uh, but yeah, but like, you know, what, what are things that organizers can do just to make it clearer, make it easier for folks who are either new to the CFP process, or even those of us, like the four of us who are totally familiar with it, but could use like just a little clarification when we're filling something out? Mm -hmm. So uh, this, is, this is kind of a spoiler alert here. Um, so we're talking right now on uh, Friday, April 13th. Yay, Friday the 13th. Um, I don't know when this is going to go live, but in the next couple of weeks, I have an article coming out on opensource.com that is entirely about this subject. Nice. Uh, so excellent timing on that. Um, so to summarize is really that, oh, can I summarize? Because it ended up a really long article. It turns out I got a lot of deals on this subject. Um, so uh, what conference organizers can do is really to take responsibility here. Um, as a program committee, you are responsible for the most important part of the event, and that is the content. If you want the best content, you don't just throw a CFP form on the web and hope content magically shows up. You gotta, you gotta own it, right? So you gotta tell people, set up expectations appropriately. Otherwise, if you don't, you can't you don't got a leg to stand on when folks aren't meeting your expectations if you don't tell them those expectations up front. Right? Um, and also reach out to people. Actively take a hand in this. Again, own it. Take responsibility. Reach out to people in groups. Ask them to propose. Provide mentoring. Provide feedback mm -hmm. for proposals before they are accepted. One thing I spend a lot of time on is doing CFP office hours where people bring their ideas or their proposals and, and we give feedback and we make them more uh, fitting for that specific conference. Or we tell people, no, we don't want ideas like that. Or they come to us saying, I want to speak, but I don't have anything to speak on. And that's always the best. And you're like, those whoa, are, those are yeah, it's like, oh, honey, <laughs> no, you <laughs> totally got a story. Um, but the conference has to take ownership of this, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not just before the CFP, it's afterwards. So you can do everything possible to get the best proposals, but it doesn't help if somebody doesn't know how to write a good talk. So provide, let people know they can come for help. They can get mentoring. They can get feedback. There is somebody there to support them. And when you do that, you're more likely to get a really amazing conference with great mm -hmm. schedule to go with it. So um, another quick plug. Uh, so I'm the chair of the program committee of Siegel this year. SEAGL, Seattle GNU Linux Conference, uh, second year being program chair there. Uh, this year, our program committee really, they, they embraced this idea uh, in a way that just made me so incredibly proud. They're such a great team. Um, they published a code of practice, um, not a code of conduct. Obviously, everybody has to pay attention to that, and, but it's a code of practice. It publicly declares the program committee's commitment to the duty that we have to our audience and our community. Mm -hmm. 
Um, uh, it's just amazing. Uh, our CFP doesn't open until June 4th, but we're already setting up expectations to people that we got you. It's okay. We're going to help. We're going to support you. We want your talks. You are welcome here. And uh, awesome. the team is just amazing. So Very please. Cool. I, I love that. Yeah. Would you yeah. mind sharing that with us? Can we? Yeah, it's actually, uh, if you go to Siegel.org, it is the most recent blog post okay. right there. We'll uh, make sure we put that in the show notes on communitypost.io as well. Yeah, and all the content there is uh, CC by SA, so anyone can grab the code of practice Please. and repurpose it for their conference. Awesome, awesome, Please. awesome. So, yeah, I saw that with uh, Node Summit recently as well, and I, I sent them a tweet about it. They have a whole, like, here's their CFP, but they have a whole speaker preparation page with, like, mm -hmm. Here's what we expect. Here's how to write a clear and compelling proposal for this. Here's, you know, a, a webinar on how to prepare and how to make amazing slides and another one on how to deliver confidently. So they're really, you can tell the conferences that are really investing in their speakers, not yeah. only in an attempt to make their conference better, but in an attempt, I believe, to, to make the community a better speaking community. I don't know what I'm trying yeah. to say there, but that, that is, you understand. That's, that's one of the primary, uh, you know, at Siegel, we really believe in uh, building the community and the speakers and the free and open source software contributors of tomorrow, mm -hmm. right? There's plenty of people who are supporting the free and open source software contributors of today, right. but we're, we're helping people get past that step zero, right? Mm -hmm. If step one is change a piece of code and send a PR, step zero is all that stuff beforehand. So if step one is is presenting a talk, step zero is, you know, what even is. So we uh, do publish a lot of information for our potential speakers. Um, every year we've got, uh, here's not only what we expect of you, but here's a lot of resources. Here's mm -hmm. our CFP office hours. Here's a link to my public speaking repo on GitHub, which has dozens and dozens and dozens of resources nice. on how to do uh, conferences well. But we also publish our, uh, our criteria for how we select. Because mm -hmm. that shouldn't be uh, private. We right. need to be upfront with people and let them know what we're looking for. Right. Yeah. So, uh, Vicky, in the short amount of time that we have left, let's let's fast forward a little bit and let's uh, hypothetically say that our amazing CFP has been selected um, for the conference that we really wanted to we really wanted to participate in. Um, what's what's the first thing that you'll do to sort of prepare um, for that talk once it's been accepted? Where, where do you what do you do first? Uh, first, um, I, I probably think, wait, did, what, what did I actually propose? Or <laughs> now I gotta write it. Oh my God. Um, so that's really the first thing I do. Um, but right now I get to say it again, uh, spoiler alert. Um, in July, I am doing a three hour tutorial at OzCon all about this, what you do after your, your talk is accepted. Um, so come to OzCon in Portland this year. It's our 20th anniversary. It's amazing. If you want to code for 20% off, let me know. I just want you there. So um, we can put that in the show notes as well. Yeah, yes, we're going to have a lot lovely. of show notes. That's awesome. <laughs> Lots of bullet points. <laughs> well done, Jason. Many bullet points. Um, so the Thanks first thing you do, it, uh, there's really three. Uh, okay, there's obviously lots and lots of steps to having a good talk. But once you're accepted, the th three things you really have to focus on going forward are knowing your audience. Again, you, you've done kind of the research, obviously, to get your CFP in. Mm -hmm. Refresh that because now you actually have to know how to speak to them, right? And how they want to hear information, what they're looking to get out of it. So know your audience, craft a coherent story 
don't just throw a bunch of slides together, right? Um, craft an actual story, a beginning, a middle, an end, a story arc. It makes a huge difference when you're portraying or, or uh, presenting information, right? And then practice. Holy crap, people, practice, 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 practice the transitions between slides, get your speaker notes in there, practice every single demo with, without uh, internet, do everything mm -hmm. possible. Mm -hmm. Have the respect for your audience, right? There are some people who can like throw together a few slides and step up to a podium and deliver their talk and do it well, but those people are rare and I'm willing to bet you ain't one of them because I ain't one of them and I do this almost professionally. So you have to put a lot of effort into that. This isn't just a presentation, it's a performance. And like any other performance, you have to know your lines, you have to know your placements, you have to know your blocking, you have to give a good performance to your audience, otherwise they're not going to get good value out of it and you will have wasted their time. Once yeah. you waste their time, they are never getting it back. So that's incredibly disrespectful. It's interesting you say that because one of the things that I get a lot when I speak is, is most conferences are smart enough to say, what, what kind of microphone do you want? And I always want a handheld because I prefer to walk around a stage and make it kind of stand up like and make it kind of in that vein. And I've, I've had speakers that have, you know, what kind of microphone do you want? And they're like, well, I've never really thought about it before. It's like, what? Hmm. So you've made a talk and you never really thought about what's going to happen when you take those three steps up on this platform. Yeah. Those are the last three steps you get before you think you should know what kind of microphone you want. You should know where you're planning to stand. Are you going to stay at the podium? Are you going to walk around? Do you need something wireless? If you don't have it, what are you going to do? Um, there's, yeah, there's a lot of psychology. motion with your hands and therefore you need something wireless because <laughs> otherwise the microphone is suddenly out here. Yeah. And actually the, the psychology shows that it's better to, um, it's one of the things I talk about in my, my workshop, it's better sometimes to have an open stance, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to be all squinched up like this because uh, the lizard brain, I, I, I do squinched up like this and it's an audio <laughs> podcast, but picture me squinching up. Um, you know, it, our lizard brains don't trust people who do that because they could be hiding something. They could be going to attack us. So you want a more open stance mm -hmm. and then people like you more, right? There's lots of psychology in giving a really good presentation and having people enjoy it and get something out of it. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, you're right. A lot of it is thinking in advance and practicing in advance. You know, that, yeah. that kind of brings up um, a, a point I want to add to that is that when you are submitting talks, if you do have videos of yourself, um, I think it's always good to sort of add that either into your bio or into something that gets submitted because, again, going back to if I'm in the shoes of the, the, the chair committee or whoever who's choosing talks and I'm trying to put together a program, I will probably go look and see how do you deliver your talk? Because just like you said, we are looking for, for somebody who's putting on not only the educational aspect of it, of course, but they're going to put on a good show. They're going to like, you know, make it so that the audience thoroughly, you know, took some stuff away, but also enjoyed the talk. And so I think it's important yeah. to- if, How do you find the time? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, a lot of conferences ask for video links, um, and that's great. I, I never look at them when I'm on a program committee because, dude, who's got the time to, to do that sort of yeah. crap? Yeah, not all of them, but when, it, when you yeah. start to narrow it down, it, it can be a deep, like a sway you in one way or the other. It, it can be, but- if, it, if it's a decision between like two people, maybe, but yeah. I think if, it, if it's like, I need to fill 15 slots, I don't have time to watch 15 videos. No, no, nobody yeah, does. I don't. And frankly, it's, it's about the content and the balance of the content and you know that before it's your performance. I can help you with your performance and mm -hmm. I'll gladly do that. Um, so I'm very hands-on with my 
my programs when I'm a program chair, uh, but I don't have an hour to spend beforehand to see whether you might be a good proposer, right? Mm -hmm. However, mm -hmm. videos are amazing and painful because they help you get better for your talks later. Yes. So um, do- But painful. You, you're gonna hate it. <laughs> you're gonna like want to gouge your eyes out as you're watching your video, but please, for love a dog, do it, take notes, improve, iterate. Um, and what I love about videos, and this is something that most people don't think of, if I'm doing the same talk multiple times, I don't always have the time to prepare quite as much as I would like. So mm -hmm. what I'll do is I'll listen to the video from the last time, and that refreshes my memory of, oh, that's what this talk is about. <laughs> Let that, you know, 15 talks running at any one time often. Mm -hmm. And so right. I'm not going to remember what I said. I don't mm -hmm. have to. I've offloaded that information to a video. Right. And that helps right. me get up to, up to speed a lot more quickly. And that also lets you go, oh, right, I meant, to, I meant to mention this here, or here's this latest thing that just happened that I can use as an anecdote in this spot and improve your speaker notes for the next time, right? Yeah, exactly. Constantly be iterating, right? This yeah. isn't a fire and forget situation. Right, right. So I think we're just about out of time. Um, but as those of you who have listened to episodes of Community Pulse in the past, no, we do these checkouts at the end. So it's this. And you ha if you haven't listened, there's 22 other episodes for you to catch up on. True. And they're probably at your favorite podcasting spot, iTunes, or uh, you could even do the whole, uh, hey, Alexa, play Community Pulse. True. Uh, if you have the, the podcast thing set up. So that was my own advertisement on our own podcast. You're going to send people into this weird loop now because they yeah. said that on the podcast. I said that True. on the podcast, doing the podcast. And if their Alexa was listening, holy crap, it's, <laughs> everything's a mess. <laughs> hey, It'll Alexa, buy dog food. <laughs> so anyway, checkouts. Um, we usually mention a thing or two. can be developer relations community related, but it usually isn't. It usually kind of derails from that a little bit. Um, often ends up being something that we're really into music, books, projects that we're working on, upcoming conferences, things like that. Um, so we'll go, we'll go Red Robin on this. Uh, I choose, I choose Jason to go first today. <laughs> well, go through your bullet points. Jason. Joke's on you. I was planning on going first. That's why. All I was right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, one of the things I kind of want to share, it's, it's a, it's a service or a, a site that's been around for a while, but something I finally came back to just because I've been traveling a little less and have some more time at home, which is uh, delightful. And so I've decided to take some online guitar lessons, learning the dobro. And uh, Artist Works is where I'm doing that. Um, nice. And it's, uh, it turns out to be a lot cheaper than going to my local guitar uh, instructor. And uh, tons of videos, tons of downloadable content, um, totally worth its money, it's been great. I think I've already, just in a few weeks, gotten quite a bit better. So uh, definitely anybody who's a musician and trying to learn, uh, they've got all kinds of instruments. Uh, go check out Artist Works. Yeah, just um, looking at it now, it has, you can learn how to do hip hop scratching. Everything, uh, that's, man. that's amazing. Yeah, marimbas, probably the triangle, like it's all in there. Nice, thanks. Um, a lot of times I like to share music that I've just discovered. Uh, this is an album that came out like late last year, but I just got it on vinyl, but the new Lucas Nelson, who is Willie Nelson's son, uh, his uh, new new one, Lucas Nelson, The Promise of the Real uh, album is fantastic front to back. Like every single song is solid. Um, so even if you're not into Willie Nelson or sort of old school country, um, it's 
it's pretty it's pretty cool. Um, and then the last thing is I'm at the goal line here for DevOps Days Rockies, which takes place Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. Um, not sure when we'll go live with this episode, but uh, always follow hashtag DevOps Days on Twitter. There's always some good stuff being shared uh, shared there. Um, and I'm guessing even if people don't hear this before the conference, they'll be able to see videos afterward. Yeah, so we'll uh, it'll be streaming. Uh, if you go to devopsdays.org uh, and then click on Denver, you'll we'll have the link for the stream. If you happen to you know kind of hear this about the same time, but if not, we'll also post the videos as soon as we've got them recorded and uh, get through posts and all that kind of stuff. That's all I got. Cool. Who's up next? Uh, well, according to our bulleted list, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll take it. Boom. Um, so we were talking before we started recording here um, that it's been a little bit of a chaotic week for a few of us. Um, but an awesome week all the same. And one of the reasons that it's been chaotic for me is because I launched a conference yesterday with J. Paul Reed. Um, so I'm super, super stoked about this. It's a conference called Redeploy, capital R, capital E, and then deploy. You can find us at re-deploy.io. And it's a conversation and a conference that kind of looks at this intersection between technology and organizations and the people at those organizations and how resilience engineering and chaos engineering and those types of things impact all of those spaces and looking at it as as a whole or well looking at it holistically rather um, rather than just at the resilience engineering part of it but also taking a look at you know how does that impact the companies how does that impact the people what does that mean how do we move forward in this day and age with Agile and, and resilience engineering, chaos engineering, all of that. Um, I'm also super excited because Vicki is one of our launch speakers. So I'm really, really stoked that she is on board for this. I'm super excited to hear what she'll be talking about. And she'll be addressing uh, some of the, the teams and people side of things around resilience and, and making sure that you're setting people up for success and safety and all of those types of things. Yay. So, yay, Vicki. Uh, the other thing for me is um, a book that has kind of been giving me the kick in the butt that I need to finish my own book. Uh, it's called Footprints on the Moon, and it's by Seth Godin. Um, and it's, it was actually assigned reading for me for a, a class that I'm taking soon uh, called Alt-MBA, but it's this idea of there is no such thing as writer's block. Um, it's more of a, a time management and a like just sit down and freaking write and as long as you're writing then there's content and you can always go back and edit it later um, and so you know making sure that uh, you're you're not looking for too much reassurance making sure that you're not looking for outside input uh, as often but just doing the thing and getting the thing done and once it's done, then you can go back and edit and, and recreate and rethink and add to it. But, but this idea of just sitting down and doing the thing um, is the best place to start, which has been pretty awesome. So kind of turning, turning some of those expectations on their heads and looking at it in a different way. Very cool. According to our very thorough and bulleted list, I am next. <laughs> Uh, so since Mary's announcing her conference and, and Jason announced his conference and Vicki announced a conference during the talk, so it's my turn now. 
So uh, codedays.me, it's been two days since we, or two days, it's been two days since we did code days. It's been two years since we did code days due to a renovation issue at the venue. Um, so we're doing it again in September 14th and 15th in Buffalo, New York, which is the best town in the world, as everyone knows. Uh, we don't have a great hockey team, but we do have great tech conferences. Uh, you can find out more at Code Days Date. It's C O D E D A Z E dot M E. Uh, the CFP is open till the end of April, and early bird tickets are good till the end of April. All very excited. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the support. Ember is very excited as well. Ember's, was Ember's, there at the last Code Days. I was going to say former attendee. Last days, so, yeah. you know. Uh, and uh, on the music front, uh, last week I got the awesome opportunity to go and see a band that uh, did a reunion after 20 years, a band called Gathering Ground. They're local to the Buffalo area, but they did do a lot of touring uh, back before emo was a bad word, before Hot Topic was a thing, and emo was just meant really good music. Um, so we will put a link in the show notes to Gathering Ground and their, their uh, three-song EP figured out. Um, just some fantastic good old 90s emo music that I think people will enjoy. Vicky, your time has come. Oh dear. Um, so this this is all new and original to me. I, I admit I so I don't listen to podcasts at all. I found I felt super guilty because I would have all these podcasts I'm supposed to listen to and then I wouldn't. Um, and I'm looking for the name of a group that I found uh, recently that somebody linked me to, and I'm not finding it because iTunes is amazing. Uh, <laughs> But I do have a book that I've referenced like three times this week. And literally, I'm going to like buy a, a case of these and just hand them out to everyone I find. Um, it's The No Asshole Rule by Bob Sutton. If you haven't read ah, this, yeah. please, for, for love of dog, read The No Asshole Rule. Um, it's all about how uh, that whole one bad apple spoils the lot thing. Um, but it goes into the numbers. It's here's how you are completely, you know, just you're shooting your business in the foot by keeping these, you know, mad geniuses around these assholes. These, you know, it's, it's an amazing book. It also has a second book that goes with it. I got a lot more out of the first one, but you know, whatever. So everybody go read the no asshole rule it's, and follow Bob Sutton on Twitter because he does really good stuff. Um, and the second thing I want to share is uh, a site called introvertstogether.com. Um, last year at Community Leadership Summit, uh, I was hanging out with uh, Sage Sharp and Michael Downey, and we're just chatting as friends do, and we were talking about free and open source software and what the communities are like, and, and we typically interact online. We're, we're separate, but we're together. We're introverts together, and I really like the idea, so I pitched it at a friend of mine who's an artist in Melbourne, um, Rex Smeal, and I said, hey, Rex we need t-shirts man and he refused to take money for it he wouldn't and he came up with this amazing design and the only way he gets paid is if somebody goes and buys the t-shirt that i wanted so um please help support an artist go to introvertstogether.com you can buy shirts or whatever it's all on Redbubble, so you can get get it on all sorts of things it's a really great design and rex does great work so i, I like to make sure that people see that and, and just share that Cool. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, see, that wasn't so hard. <laughs> yeah, you did great. Um, okay, so I, we're kind of running a little short on time. So let's go ahead and um, 
start to wrap this up. Vicki, it's been awesome to have you on this, on this episode. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to be a part of this conversation. Anytime. And uh, of course, we'll see you. What's the next thing you're going to be at? Uh, next week, I get to see Mary. Very excited. Yay. Um, Yay. I'm, uh, I'm doing a keynote at Open Source 101 in Columbia, South Carolina. I also have another talk I'm doing, which apparently is all new and original, so I should probably write that. Um, <laughs> yeah, next week, right. next Tuesday in Columbia. Cool. Well, anybody listening in Columbia, be sure to go check out Nikki if you can get there. Um, okay. Well, with that, we'll, we'll close up on this uh, episode of the Community Pulse. Uh, my name is Jason Hand. You can find me on Twitter at Jason Hand. And uh, I'll hand it off to Mary. You want to say goodbye as well? Sure. Thanks so much for joining us today, everyone. I'm Mary Thingwell. You can find me at Mary underscore Grace on Twitter. And I'm PJ Haggerty, and you can find me at Esplenic on Twitter. And Vicky, tell us, tell everybody your, your Twitter handle too, so we can uh, so we can get people to follow you as well. I'm at DM Brasseur. V is in Victor, M is in Michael Brasseur. B-R-A-S-S-E-U-R, which is French, it turns out, for brewer of beer. Love it. Nice. Awesome. We'll, we'll have yeah. all that. Now in you've our, won in Jason's heart. What what'd you say? Now you've won Jason's heart. <laughs> <laughs> you got hockey, you got beer, you, got knew, hockey. you did your homework before you came. Oh yeah. Know your audience. Appropriate for the topic. Know your exactly. audience. Exactly. All right. Well, everybody enjoy, uh, enjoy your weekend. Hopefully uh, it's going to be nice and um, safe travels to everyone moving on to different parts of the world. And we will see you next time. This has been another episode of the Community Pulse podcast. Find us on Twitter at community underscore pulse, online at communitypulse.io, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll see you next time.